0: Hello, beautiful. Thank you for tuning in to the Colorism Healing Podcast, where our goal is to learn, transform, and resist. What you're about to listen to is the audio version of my weekly live streams on Instagram and Facebook, which you are welcome to join every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Central Time. But for now, I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello. So I am live now on both Facebook, and Instagram. Welcome to another weekly live session with yours truly, Dr. Sarah Webb of Colorism Healing. This week, we're doing a and A. Now, we have a slight change of plans for the live this week. So my guest, Ruby Bakari, is feeling under the weather. So she will not be able to join us today due to um, illness or sickness. So more importantly, we want to send her positive vibes, good thoughts and well wishes and hopes that she feels better soon. And hopefully she'll be feeling good enough in the near future to rejoin us for a live. But I will still cover the topics that she and I were set to discuss, which include global anti-blackness and white supremacy. Colorism as it manifests in different cultures around the world, education as a tool for either perpetuating white supremacy and anti-blackness, or as a tool for changing the system and of uh, promoting resistance. And then also, of course, always taking audience questions and comments. And since we won't have our guests, I'll actually have even more time to take your comments and questions. I want to do Q&A style discussion dialogue at least once a month. So either just strictly Q&A with the audience or bringing in a guest to have some sort of dialogue because as much as I know and study and hear about and talk about colorism, there are many perspectives beyond my own and I would love to highlight those more going forward. So before we jump into our discussion and Q&A and dig into some of these topics, I always like to get introductions from folks, especially if this is your first time watching. So I know a lot of you tune in regularly from week to week, which is super exciting, but go ahead and introduce yourself. Let me know where you're watching from, where you're tuning in from, what is your name, especially the name you prefer to call me because I don't always pronounce the usernames on Instagram so well. Um, And that goes for Facebook as well. So let me know how you're doing today, what the weather is like. Hello, everyone. Some announcements while folks are typing into the chat. The Colorism Healing Writing Contest, y'all. It's underway. I want to see your submissions. Even if you don't consider yourself a writer, The point is for you to tell your story about colorism, right? So many people who participate in the contest say, I have never talked about it before. This is my first time, you know, expressing how I felt or how I feel. So we also accept all kinds of writing too. So I know poetry is one of the most common forms, but we also accept essays and short stories. And the deadline for that is April 30th. So you still have plenty of time. We're not even halfway through the submission process yet. You know, get a couple of drafts in. (laughs) You can check out some sample pieces from previous contests on the website on colorismhealing.com for inspiration. But you all know what your truth is around colorism, right? Um, I am Shonda Rule, welcome back. I am from Vienna. Really? I didn't know that. Shonda like Panda. Shanda, okay. (laughs) So Shanda rhymes with Panda, gotcha. And then if it's, if it's a hard CH or a soft CH, you know, I'm not uh, offended or embarrassed if you correct me on the live streams. <laughs> um, Sufton Boy, I think that, I think I'm saying that right. <laughs> from NYC, I'm Elle. Well, welcome Elle, nice to have you. Um, Christina says, hi, I'm from North Carolina in the house. Welcome, welcome. Um, yeah, I am Shonda Rue. I didn't, I did not know we had a Vienna watcher on the live weekly lives. Okay. So for those of you who are maybe just logging on, I was scheduled to have a guest, but my guest is feeling sick. So the important thing is that we just send her well wishes and hope that she is feeling better as soon as possible. And I did a live with her before sometime last year so i'll find a way to link that so you can watch a a previous conversation and so maybe we'll be able to have her come back when she's feeling better um ah okay so i am shauna Rose from chicago what's up illinois i'm in illinois right now (laughs) but currently living in vienna i love it all right so the first thing, and remember, so we are doing a Q&A and I always stop to read comments because those are valuable to me. Hey, Elevated Conjure, welcome. <laughs> and so any question, I have four talking points that I was gonna discuss with Ruby. So we're gonna jump into those. The first one is very, very broad and we all probably have varying experiences with it, but that's global anti-blackness and white supremacy. So depending on who you talk to, depending on what conversation you're having around colorism, um, in the U.S. in particular, a lot of times we focus on the African-American experience. But one of the things, one of the reasons why I wanted Ruby to come on is because so many of my audience members, especially on Instagram, are international, right? We just, you know, even though I am Shandra, who is from Chicago, she's living internationally now. And then even, even whether you, regardless of where you live, I just have diverse races of people who watch the content, right? And so I want to acknowledge that and honor that on these lives as well. My last, last week I did African American History Month, Black History Month, right? And then obviously I myself am an African American. So I do talk a lot about that experience, but when it comes to the writing contest, when it comes to folks who reach out to me on Instagram or Facebook, and just anyone that I come in contact with through this work, we're very diverse. We're very diverse in skin tones, hair textures, languages, nationalities. And so one common thread though, across all of that diversity, is we all experience colorism, which is profound to me, right? That people with such different backgrounds and such different ways of being in the world have a story to say about colorism. And it's deeply rooted in anti-blackness around the world. One of the folks I quoted last week was Malcolm X. Hey, they say life coach. Thank you. You are gorgeous too. Hello from San Diego, California. Hey, San Diego. Nice and sunny It's snowy over here. So send me some of that San Diego sunshine. (laughs) Um, But I quoted Malcolm X as one of my, you know, most inspirational figures from black history. I got a lot of folks joining. Hey, y'all come through and uh he and his one of his last speeches that he gave before he was assassinated in nineteen sixty five early in nineteen sixty five was called "Racism is not just uh an African American problem but a global problem right I'm, I might be paraphrasing that title a little bit. And so towards the end of his life, he was looking to create a global coalition of not just African-Americans where he started, where his roots were, started from in terms of, you know, the nation of Islam. But as he progressed throughout his work and life, he saw the need to build international coalitions amongst all people of color and our allies. Right. And so in the spirit of that. You know, that whole essay is talking about global anti blackness and the negative perceptions that were propagated about Africa specifically, right? So, a lot of global anti blackness stems from the negative narratives about Africa as a continent. You know what I mean? And we even think about, you know, especially when I was growing up in the 80s and 90s, the commercials, right, of impoverished as- aspects of Africa and famished famine and. War, right? And it's not that those things don't exist on the continent of Africa, but those things exist on every continent, right? We have famine and poverty and war in the US and in Europe and in Asia and all countries, right? But the media, mainstream media, even, you know, white produced textbooks and curriculums and history make it seem as if that's all there is to Africa. I remember I was teaching high school once and I showed them, I was playing with the idea of cognitive dissonance. So I showed them pictures of cities and these cities had different skyscrapers and, you know, high rise buildings and uh, beautiful bridges and beautiful architecture and nice lighting and everything, just like a regular modern city. And I asked the students to guess where the city was located, right? And the city was located in South Africa. I don't remember what particular city it was, but I remember the city was located in South Africa. And so my mostly African-American students in that high school class, none of them guessed that the city was located in South Africa. And when I told them where it was, they were all shocked. They couldn't believe it. They're like, you're lying. Like, I've never seen, you know, Africa look modern, right? I've never seen a place in Africa that, you know, looks like a place anywhere else in the world, right? And so the the narratives being controlled about that continent have historically been very, very negative, even in literature, right? We think about the heart of darkness, right? It's a land they called it or consider it, considered it a land of savages and things like that. And so it's that perception of Africa that has created and stimulated anti-Blackness around the world, right? And Africa historically has been the center of so much of the global economy in ways that have taken advantage and exploited Africa. Let's be clear about that. And so the continent has touched every other continent, right? The continent of Africa has touched every culture around the world, even to this day. And yet somehow people don't know anything about it. They don't know the truth about it. And I also mentioned last week that we don't have an excuse you know, in this era, in this day and age, to not find new narratives, to not find different narratives. Hey, Courtney, welcome. Um, Puppy Wings Daily. So, send me a DM. So, I will go live with various people from time to time, Um, but I want to kind of meet you first and have a conversation before I bring you on the live. Hey, Ms. Smith Tynes, M. Smith Tynes, Ms. Smith Tynes, I love you too. Um, gloomy here though, oh. Well, hopefully, you know, this live brings you a ray of sunshine. <laughs> um, so, again, I know some people are joining late. I am going solo today. I was supposed to have a guest speaker, but I'm going to continue to take questions and comments as always and still kind of cover some of the basic topics that we were going to discuss together, starting with global anti-blackness. And I was saying how global anti-blackness is rooted in negative stereotypes and perception perceptions about Africa as a continent, right? And about who lives on the continent, right? And even we know colorism happens in the on the continent of Africa amongst, you know, African people. Why? Because African people don't all look the same. <laughs> I remember this statistic seeing on a map, you know, that the United States can fit into the continent of Africa like three or four times, right? So Africa is like three times the size of the U.S. And for Americans, in particular, of any race, because African Americans too lost memory of what the continent was and, you know, we're susceptible to believing what white teachers and white school books told us Africa was. Um, there, There has to be, how can we think that on that entire massive continent that everybody speaks the same language, that everybody has the same culture, that everybody looks the same, that everybody dresses the same or even thinks the same, right? Um, and so Africa is one of, is the most diverse place in the world. It's extremely diverse, right, as a continent. And y'all know we all come from Africa, so let's get that out the way right now too. But that's also an answer to anti-blackness. That's, that, that's one, one of many answers to anti-blackness is we all come from the same stock, which is rooted in on the continent of Africa. Um, but global anti-blackness I think is important to recognize is what gives white supremacy its leverage. And so I think that's why it's important for non-black people of color to address anti-blackness in their um, concern or fight against white supremacy and racism, right? So if you are not black, anti-blackness is still an important cause for you to fight against because as long as anti-blackness exists, it sort of fans the flames of white supremacy, right? It allows white supremacy to flourish Um, and anti-blackness has been used as a divide and conquer tool amongst people of color, right? So non-black people of color, you know, have been able to say, well, at least I'm not black, right? At least, at least, you know, I am a few notches above the African Americans, right? Or the African immigrant, for example. And so, realizing that that mindset that mentality weakens our collective fight against white supremacy is so important and going back again to that malcolm x speech i encourage all of you to read it um he's saying that we need all of these black and brown nations around the world to rise up together to have a coalition um that speech really changed my life when i read it in high school and he also talked about how People use the power of images and imagery to paint the negative picture of Africa in the first place and to convince black people around the world. Because I know I also have, you know, a lot of UK black folks, a lot of black folks living in Germany and other parts of the diaspora. OK, um, so wherever we ended up, we were one of the tools of domination was to convince us that we were inferior. You know, and there's that quote and I'm paraphrasing a lot of these quotes, but um, if you teach a man that he deserves to enter the back door, you won't have to force him to do that. He'll just do it on his own, right? And so they put forth a lot of effort, billions, trillions of dollars, time, resources um, spent to convince black and indigenous and other people of color that white is better and that black is inferior, right? On that spectrum. So we have to definitely address that if we want to deal with white supremacy. We have to address anti-blackness. Alright, I'm getting some high fives tuning in from Toronto. Marsha.mm. Hey <laughs> hey Sarah of Mixed Bloom Room. Nice to see ya. Um, Jandel Crutch, as always, good to see you too. All right. So the other thing I wanted to discuss with Ruby, but that I'll just touch on briefly unless anyone else wants to chime in in the comments. Let me, oh, okay, no comments on Facebook. I'm, I'm watching y'all on Facebook. I see y'all. I'm looking for y'all's comments and questions as well. <laughs> is colorism specifically across regions and cultures? So yes, glo- colorism is a global issue. Um, I noted a couple of times that colorism can also happen across racial groups, right? And so other people of color, for example, will prefer or have preferences for lighter skinned African-Americans, right? That's just one example. And the system that originates from their home culture, or right, From their own ethnicity teaches them to do that, right? Because they're doing it within their own group, cultural group preferencing, or privileging, or valuing lighter skin, more European features over darker skin features. And so they don't just limit that bias to their own ethnic group. That bias, you know, spreads out to whoever they interact with, right? Whether they come from the same culture or not. And so that's If you are taught in your own community that lighter skin or straighter hair or blue eyes are quote unquote better or prettier, then you're gonna perpetuate that no matter what country, no matter what other community or other racial or ethnic groups you are going to. And it's interesting that the vast majority of, you know, people around the world are also, who experience colorism are also women. And I know that beauty standards and patriarchy and misogyny, you know, shows up in all of these cultures. And even my writing contest is a good example. Although I was talking to an old professor and she was saying, well, there are, there are many factors that go into why your contest participants are majority female or identify as women. It's like an 80-20, 80-20 split, right? At least 80 or more of my contest participants happen to be women. Um, and I think there are a few reasons for that, right? And that's what, no matter what country they come from, right? So I've not had any male participants from India, for example, but I've had several, um, women, young women submit to the contest from India. And so I think that's because across the globe, again, one of the commonalities, so there are differences and nuance based on region and country. But what is common across all regions and countries is that women in particular, because of patriarchal societies, have to rely more on beauty standards and have to are judged more harshly based on beauty standards, right? Particularly in the marriage market, where in a lot of places, even though this is changing now, it's you know not completely done away with. Um, you have to um, marry in order to have any kind of economic sustainability for yourself, right? The job market is limited for women who live alone. There's stigma stigmas against women who live alone, against women who don't marry. And so to be valued or to be safe and secure even financially, but also physically, right? Where can you live? And that kind of thing. A lot of women around the world have to rely on marriage. Unfortunately, still even in our current decade. Um, some other common practices that we see in terms of colorism across the globe and I've never I've not lived in uh, outside of the U.S. right so a lot of this information comes from hearing and listening to other people which is again one of the reasons why I like having this dialogue and bringing on people from around the world to engage in these conversations because I can know it you know as secondhand insight and information but there's nothing like hearing these people speak for themselves so um but I think another common practice is skin bleaching. That's, that's probably like one of the biggest topics when you talk about colorism around the globe is the pandemic of skin bleaching. Bobby Simmons on Facebook. Welcome, Bobby. Thank you for tuning in from week to week. It's always good to see my regulars. <laughs> Hello, Dr. Webb. How is this cycle broken? This is a great question, Bobby. So we have our first question of this Q&A session. Um, So I'll get to that right after I wrap up this point about skin bleaching. And actually, I can tie those two things in together as well. Um, But when we talk about colorism on the international stage, one of the things you'll see in the news, for example, or online most often, is skin bleaching products or skin whitening products and advertisements. And I want to shout out some, a lot of the organizations and groups in India are based in India, for example, have been doing a lot of great work in terms of creating petitions, circulating petitions to ban certain products or to take down certain commercials. And so when I post this, I'm going to have to I can't think of their usernames off the top of my head. so in the comments when I say this IGTV and Facebook, I'll be, be sure to go back and list some of the groups, even right here on Facebook, have been circulating petitions and raising awareness about skin bleaching in particular in Asian countries, particularly in India. Um, but it's done elsewhere too, right? And I don't think we've had the same, maybe not the same level of visibility in the US or other you know countries of having advertisements that explicitly promote skin bleaching in present day. Now let's be clear, like those advertisements were very explicit in the United States, the skin whitening creams, the Landonola, the um the best things happen to girls with a light bright complexion. And they these were advertisements placed in black magazines, in African American magazines in the US, right? Um the and they were the narrative in those advertisements was that you know, if you want to get the job and if you want to get the guy, you got to get lighter skin. Um, but I think in our current generation, we, we don't see as much of the advertisements and promotion of those things, even though they are very much sold and used. It's not as explicit as it is in some other places, perhaps. But um, we all know the dangerous effects of skin bleaching. Or I say we all know, but do we all know? Perhaps we don't all know. Let me not make that assumption. <laughs> Um, But a lot of times, especially when people are trying to save money and like buy it, you know, from independent retailers or buy it off of the underground markets. Right. And they can't find it in stores. A lot of times when they pass a law to not pass something, then that means it's deregulated because it's illegal. So they're not regulating the product. And so that becomes more dangerous. But throughout history, they've had all kinds of things and skin bleaching products from lead and mercury and like other kinds of deadly things that people were putting all over their body. Um, I also want to say that if you read Yaba Blay, Dr. Yaba Blay has an article called um, Global White Supremacy by Way of Introduction. And you can probably find the PDF online. Or if you have access to a library database, you can find it there. But she explains the history of skin bleaching, even in Europe. Even white Europeans thought they weren't white enough, right? And that's because of, again, perceptions of class and depictions of the queen and using these powders and um, makeups to be ghostly white, right? Like almost, they wanted their skin to be almost translucent, right? To be able to see all the veins in their skin. So even, even Europeans and, and descendants of Europe were using skin bleaching creams. And that kind of speaks to um, how white supremacy is gonna kill all of us at the end of the day. That's my belief. <laughs> Any anyway, white folks watching, like we also need to, you also need to be working to end white supremacy because it's gonna kill you too. It's gonna destroy us all. That kind of hatred and that kind of bigotry is gonna make the whole world implode if it goes unchecked. Um, okay, so Seftened Boy says. Mayo's World recent post addressed this wonderfully too. Okay, so we'll have to look them up. Um, maybe leave another comment with that because um, the, the chat is not saved. So even though I said it out loud, I probably won't remember how it's spelled. <laughs> so if you could leave a comment and tag them so that we know who to follow and to go check out their post, that would be great. Um, okay, so Bobby asks... Hello, Dr. Webb. How is this cycle broken? And she asked this question on Facebook. So what do y'all think? How do we break this cycle? There are, there are lots of answers to this. There are many ways to break the cycle, I think. Um, I think the third point that I was going to talk about is education. So let me just start there. I think the first step or a first step in breaking the cycle is educating people about these systems because a lot of times we're oblivious to oppression it's it's interesting because people say well i don't feel oppressed right and i think that's a danger to to base your belief in an oppressive system on whether or not you feel it because oppression is very slick it's slick On purpose because it wants you to feel like nothing's wrong right the system was designed very carefully and strategically to make you feel like oh this is normal oh this is normal healthy behavior of course it's just a preference (laughs) and so educating people like actually this is not not natural this is not a natural thing this was a created system And because it was a creative system, it can also be recreated. It can be dismantled, right? It's not like a mountain that existed, you know, before humans, right? Colorism, racism, white supremacy, that those are human made things. And so educating people on what these systems of oppression are, how they operate, how they work is important. Then on top of that, the education piece is educating people about themselves and about their history. So in my earlier points, I mentioned how um, European colonial powers dominated the, the narrative, the history. They got to write the history books, basically. And so we need to, A, start writing our own history books, wherever you come from. We have to start writing and reading our own history books and educating ourselves about who we really are and not relying on what white colonial powers have told us that we are, right? So there's education in two, in two, on two fronts. Being educated about what these systems are, the fact that, yes, a system like colorism exists and it's intertwined with other systems like racism and classism and misogyny, right? And then educating yourself about who you are culturally and what's your ancestry like. And that can even go a little few steps deeper and educating yourself about who you are. And so the, the psychological, the individual experience of colorism is something I talk about a lot too and something a lot of people grapple with when they are finding colorism healing is, yeah, I understand there's a system and I want to fight the system, but I'm also personally hurt, right? There are people in my life that I love and that I know love me, but they perpetuate colorism and how do I grapple with that? And so even on an individual level, right? Like you have to know who you are. Yes, know who your people are, right? But also figure out who really is Sarah. What do, what do I actually think about natural hair? And does my negative perception of it, did that actually come from me? Or was that me regurgitating messages and um, attitudes that the people around me had at the time, right? Or that the society around me had at the time. So I guess three layers of education, right? Educating ourselves about how these global systems came to be, the fact that they do exist. Then educating ourselves about the true nature and the true history of people of color, particularly people who are descendants of Africa. Um, If you're tuning in late, go back and watch the beginning because you'll get context for why I'm emphasizing Africa as a continent. And then educating yourself as in being introspective, spending time with yourself, um, looking in the mirror and saying which of these attitudes were actually mine and which of these attitudes were imposed upon me by my upbringing, the way my parents raised me, or the way media has influenced me. I think those are three important steps in terms of dismantling this system. Um, Okay. So I can be more specific with that. You know, one of the benefits of talking about colorism every week is that I don't feel pressure to get it all in in this one session. That's why I do it every week because it's a complex complicated topic and one hour, I'm not gonna spend a whole hour on here, but the half hour or so to 45 minutes that I spend, we already know we're not getting all the nuance and layers to colorism in, in this small session. And if there is a particular subtopic or a particular niche of colorism you want me to cover one week, let me know that as well. Send me a DM, leave a comment, and I'll put it on the docket. I'll put it on the agenda. So, I'm gonna leave it there. Again, if you're tuning in just now, if you missed the intro, I was supposed to have a guest speaker to help me kind of unpack. You know, Ruby Bakari is a South Asian woman who's currently living in the UK. And so I thought it would be a good idea to bring in more of the international perspective. And we've worked together on other things, right? So, I was on a panel. With, for south asian heritage month in the uk that she invited me to be on and then the uk also has black history month in october so we did a live for that as well it's good stuff and i'll see if you want to do a live with me send me a dm right so i have people in mind that i'd like to do lives with i also have people who have already sent me dms and uh, so i want to start with the people who are willing and ready to do a live, right? Because some of you join and watch every week and you leave great comments and you ask great questions, but you might not want to go live. You might not want to be on video. You might just like chopping it up in the comments in the chat. So um, I'll prioritize people who DM me and request first, and then I'll go and reach out to other folks that I have in mind as well. All right. It's great to see everyone. Thank you all for everyone who watches every week. I love y'all so much. And many, many thanks to people who are just tuning in for the first time or who tune in when you can, you know, from time to time. And I'll see y'all again, same bat time, same bat channel, okay? I think I'm using that reference correctly. I don't know. I'm not really a Batman fan. I just remember that reference. Um, JB1710 says, these are the real deal. Thank you. Love y'all so much. Mwah. Mwah. Take care. Thanks again for listening. Please remember to hit the like button and share this episode with a friend. I hope you can join us again for the next one.